Amen. It's great having you with us this morning. Welcome to Bible Center Church. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, if you'd go ahead and open with me to Psalm 94, you can also just follow along on the screen. All the words will be on the screen. But I am thankful that you're here. We also want to say thanks for those who joined us online uh, around outside of uh, Charleston, even around West Virginia and other parts of the world. We're glad you're here and we'd love to have you visit with us next time you're in the Charleston area. We're in the middle of a new, new series, uh, Summer in the Psalms, where we're looking at 10 different ways to pray the Psalms, different styles of Psalms, different emotions, different feelings. And so far, we've looked at things like how we can ask God to teach us to pray, how we can confess our sin, how we can even praise the Lord out in creation. Uh, during the summertime, if you were here last week, I was blessed to hear Pastor Mike and one of our elders, Brian Plants, teach and preach uh, God's Word. But this morning, we're going to look at another type of psalm, and that is how to pray our hurt, it's particularly when somebody uh, hurts us. So I want to invite you to take notes. Uh, the outline is in your bulletin. If taking notes helps you, uh, you can just mark up your bulletin. It's also on the app. And even if you're not a note taker, we have our Bible studies available out there at the info desk. It's also online or on the app. We just want to go deep in God's Word together. We're going to cover a lot of ground today. And so let me invite you to dig into God's Word uh, with me. When you came in, you probably noticed a card on your seat and a pen. I'm going to explain that in a little bit. So if you want to keep that close by, that's actually going to be part of the sermon here in just a little bit. And so if you didn't get one, just look around. I'm sure there's one near you somewhere. Before we read, I want to tell you the story about the day I got fired. Anybody can relate? Uh, actually, we didn't call it fired. It was considered, you know, in the Christian world, it's moving on to another ministry. But whatever it's called, I want to tell you about it and some lessons that I learned through it. It's really applicable to what we're going to be talking about today. So as a younger pastor, I was uh, working in a location where I really felt like I knew better uh, than the people who were in charge. I'm sure you've never felt that, but it seems to be the plight of young men. And so I began to, you know, think of ways, all the things that were wrong with the organization. I even took notes in my phone about how the leaders were bad leaders. But if I was in charge, how I would do things so much differently. And I would go to those leaders and tell them occasionally, hey, this needs to change, that needs to change. And none of my suggestions were ever considered until finally it, it, it just kind of boiled up in my heart. In my heart, I thought I was fulfilling my calling, fulfilling my job description at least, uh, again, fulfilling my calling at the most, until one day I did the smartest thing I have ever done in my professional life. I put all of my burdens and all of my anger and all of my thoughts into an email and I hit send, right? Anybody ever done that? Or maybe you've heard of somebody who did that. Not a wise thing to do. I've learned that once you hit send, you can't hit unsend. It's gone forever. Well, of course, that evolved into a series of conversations. And of course, it was I was encouraged to go find another place of ministry. Years have passed and I'm so much more wise, so much older and grayer now. Learned so many more lessons. But I do want to actually get transparent with you this morning and share with you what God taught me through that. 
And I would ask you to be thinking of your own life, ways that you could grow and ways that God might be teaching you from Psalm 94. You see, when this first happened to me, I was angry. When it first happened to me, I I considered everything to be everybody else's fault, that I had no part in it whatsoever. And I remember talking to my counselor uh, shortly after that, and I remember my counselor, he listened to me and listened to me until finally during one of our sessions, he said, Matt, I think I know what your problem is. And counselors seldom say that, but when he said, I think I know what your problem is, I listened. He says, Matt, I think your prayer life is too nice and you don't have an outlet for all of your burdens and anger and your frustrations. And they bottle up and then occasionally they spill over into the people in your life. I think your prayer life is rated G. It's way, way too nice. And through that process, I've learned that God actually wants to hear our deepest, darkest burdens. God not only wants to hear our hurt, but he also wants to hear our hate. And I'm convinced this message is the key for many of you getting over that next hurdle in your Christian life, just like it continues to help me. Psalm 94 has the answer, so I'm going to invite you to stand with me out of respect for the Bible, and let's read Psalm 94, starting in verses 1 and 2. The Lord is a God who avenges. O God who avenges, shine forth. Rise up, judge of the earth. Pay back to the proud what they deserve. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. In your outline, you'll notice the main point at the top. I'll go ahead and give you that. And the next few minutes is actually me explaining and trying to prove this proposal. If you want to heal, get honest with God about your hurt and your hate. If you want to heal, get honest with God about your hurt and your hate. What do we mean by that? Why is it important that we pray our hurts and our hates? Well, number one, because God already knows what I'm thinking. God already knows what I'm thinking. Notice verse three with me. The psalmist writes, How long, Lord, will the wicked, how long will the wicked be jubilant? They pour out arrogant words. All the evildoers are full of boasting. They crush your people, Lord. They oppress your inheritance. Many scholars believe that this psalm was written during the Babylonian captivity. If you know anything about uh, the Bible history, and I'm sure you've heard in world history, the Jews were held captive in Babylon for about 500 years before Jesus. Those who weren't killed were hauled off to Babylon. And so imagine you're a Jew in Babylon, you, 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 you hate your oppressors just like the Jews would have hated the Germans who put them in ghettos in the 1930s. And so you're, you're writing this psalm thinking about how arrogant your oppressors are, how much you hate your enemies. In verse 6, they slay the widow and the foreigner. The Hebrew word there is literally refugee. They slay the widow and the refugee. They murder the fatherless, people with little, little means of self-defense. They say the Lord does not see, the God of Jacob takes no notice, In other words, God doesn't know what's happening. They thought they were getting away with it. But in verse 8, he says, Take notice, you senseless. If you're taking notes, you want to underline the word senseless. In the Hebrew, it literally means stupid. (laughs) Take note, you stupid ones among the people. 
You fools, when will you become wise? Does he who fashioned the ear not hear? Does he who formed the eye not see? Does he who disciplines nations not punish? Does he who teaches mankind lack knowledge? The Lord knows all human plans. He knows that they are futile. Verse 11 is the answer to that entire section. He asks over and over again, does God see what's going on? Does God even know our thoughts? And in verse 11, he answers the question emphatically, God knows everything, including what you're thinking right now. You see, the main point of Psalm 94 and many of the main points of what we call imprecatory psalms, big word, but refers to praying really bad things towards your enemy. The main point is this, God already knows what we're thinking so we might as well pray it out loud. God already knows what we're thinking, so we might as well pray it out loud. Let me read to you a few other examples of this. These, these are the best of the best. In Psalm 10:15, the writer of that psalm wrote against his enemies, and he said, break the arm of the wicked man. Psalm 21:12 is my favorite. Psalm 21:12. he says, aim at their faces, God, with your bows. In other words, shoot them in the face with an arrow. That's what he prayed. I didn't write it, all right? Don't fire me. This is the Bible. God wrote it. So Psalm 58 and verse 6, he says, break out their teeth. Psalm 69 28, blot them out of the book of life. Psalm 139 22, the psalmist just gets real. He says, God, I hate them. God, I hate them. You see the goal, you say, well, Pastor Matt, what about Jesus saying, pray for your enemies and love those who persecute you? What about that whole verse? We're going to get there. But the point I want to make at the beginning is there's no sense for us to pretend and suppress our feelings of hatred and anger and all of a sudden go to God with a big fake smile on our face and pretend like everything's okay. God already knows what we're thinking. Our emotions are a lot like zombies. You see, if you bury a zombie, you don't kill a zombie. It's eventually going to come back with a vengeance. And so if we try to hide and suppress our anger and our hatred or even our hurt or, our, or whatever it is, our frustration, eventually it's going to come back. What we don't own will own us. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Here's the picture of that verse. If you'd leave that on the screen for a moment. The picture of that verse is this. When a hateful thought or imagination comes into your mind, instead of praying and pretending like it doesn't exist, you go to God and you say, God, can I'm going to tell you what I think about this person. He already knows, but you actually verbalize it. And you say, God, I'm thinking this right now. I am thinking that this person, I wish this would happen. I wish they would be judged. And you say it. And when you say it out loud, it tends to lose its power. It tends to lose its strength. Maybe not at first, but over time. When it comes out of your mouth, you go, I can't believe I just said that. I can't believe I just prayed that judgment on this person. Or, or maybe it applies to lust. I tell young men, instead of pretending like you don't lust and acting like it doesn't exist, just admit if you're breathing and you're alive and you're a young man, it exists. 
This verse would teach you to take that thought to God and say, Lord, this is what I just thought about this young lady. And so when you verbalize it and you actually tell God the details of what came into your mind, you're, first of all, you're embarrassed. I can't believe I just told God. He saw it anyway. And this is the way our thoughts lose their power. The Psalms are teaching us to pray what's already there so then God can correct and shape us into his image. Eugene Peterson writes, It is better to pray badly than not to pray at all. A ship that is dead in the water can't be steered. The Psalms force us to pray who we actually are, not who we think we should be. That's where many of us live. The way of prayer is not to cover our unlovely emotions so they'll appear respectable, but to expose them so they can be enlisted in the work of the kingdom. Why do we pray our burdens and our hurts? Because number one, God already knows them. Number two, God cares and wants to carry my burdens. God cares and wants to carry my burdens. Notice with me verse 14. For the Lord will not reject his people. He will never forsake his inheritance. Verse 18. When I said my foot is slipping, your unfailing love, Lord, supported me. You ever felt like your foot was slipping? Ever felt like you were losing it? You were unraveling at the edges of your life? He says God's covenant love. It's the love of God. Not his love for God, but God's love for him that supported him. It was unconditional. Notice verse 22. But the Lord has become my fortress. Literally, a castle in the mountains. The Lord has become my fortress. And the God in whom I take refuge. I have never seen this until this week. In verse 22, he is saying God is like the castle on the mountain and God is also the mountain. He is the fortress and he's the rock on which the fortress is built. Reminds me of 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him for he cares for you. Why do we pray our hatred and our hurt? Because God cares and God wants to carry the burdens that he knows we are we're never strong enough to carry. This is why we have a prayer room here at Bible Center. A few, about a year or so ago, one of our members had a great suggestion and said, you know, at the end of our services, you give people the opportunity to profess Christ and put their faith in Christ. But wouldn't it also be great if we had a place for our members or regular attenders, people who love Jesus but have burdens? Wouldn't it be great if we had a prayer room where people could go pray? And I've never really thought about that. And so we opened up our prayer room after every service back here. We have a team of men and women of different ages, different walks of life. They would love to pray with you. So if you've got a burden after any service, just go pray with our prayer team. And I trust God will begin to bring healing and comfort to your life. Why do we pray our hate? Why do we pray our hurts? Number three, because holding it in will kill me. Holding it in will kill me. Notice verse 17. Unless the Lord had given me help, I would soon have dwelt in the silence of death. Unless the Lord had given me help, I would soon dwell in the silence of death. Here's the picture. As long as we pretend like we really don't hurt or we really don't hate or we hide our bitterness, 
We might think that we can suppress it and it will eventually go away. But that's not the way our bodies and our souls were designed to work. Our souls and bodies were designed for satisfaction. And so if we're trying to suppress some anger or bitterness, eventually we'll cover it up, sometimes even unknowingly, with things like food, things like drugs, things like sex. We'll try to cover it up with maybe good hobbies or bad hobbies. Whatever the reason is, we will cover them up because God tells us it has, the need has to be met. Bitterness is like swallowing poison and hoping someone else will die. If you don't own your hate, your hate will eventually own you. It affects us physically, emotionally, and spiritually. The fourth reason why does God want us to pray our hate and our hurt? It's because my peace of mind depends on it. My peace of mind depends on it. Notice verse 19 with me. In verse 19, he says, My anxiety was great within me, but your consolation brought me joy. When my anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. I want your joy. God wants your joy. He gave us an entire book because he knows how broken we are. He knows how little of him that we know. We can't even know the fullness of God without his revelation. And in this passage, God is saying, if you hang on to your hatred, you hang on to your bitterness, and you hang on to your hurt, whether it be justified or unjustified, if you hang on to it, it is going to wreck your life. It will wreck your life. And God loves you so much. He says, I want your joy. And so this morning, I encourage you that it, it, the main point is this. If you want to heal, get honest with God about all of your hurt and all of your hate. Get honest with God about all of your hurt and all of your hate. It's so important. If, if we don't, uh, we're just deceiving ourselves. God already knows what we think. He wants to care and carry our burdens. He knows that it will kill us or ruin our peace. So it's so important that we do this. But now the question comes, how do we do this? All right, Matt, I know it's important for me to confess my hurt and my hate to God, but how do I do this? Well, let's look at Psalm 94, and he's going to give us, I think, a progressive set of four steps, ways that we can confess and ask God for help through our hurt and our hate when somebody does us wrong. First of all, number one, Lord, teach them a lesson. The first prayer we can pray is, Lord, teach them a lesson. Notice verses 1 and 2. The Lord is a God who avenges. O God who avenges, shine forth. Rise up, judge of the earth. Notice the words carefully. Notice the words carefully. Give them mercy and forgiveness and good gifts all the days of their life. Is that what the psalmist just said? No, it's not what he said. Notice what he says. Rise up, judge of the earth. Pay back to the proud what they deserve. He gets very open, very transparent, and prays what he's really, really thinking. A couple of things to notice about this. Justice is on all of our hearts. 
We crave justice because we're made in the image of God. Justice is part of the character of God. Many of you work in the criminal justice system. Every single day when you go to work, doing what you do actually shows the character of God. Our God is for justice. He's 100% for justice and 100% for grace, which is why the only way those two could ever meet is at the cross. But God is a God of justice. We have this residual, it's, it's on our hearts really since the Garden of Eden where we want justice for everybody, usually except for ourselves, but we want justice for everybody else. And notice the writer is praying for God, not himself, but for God to avenge his cause. Is it okay for us to pray this way? I put like, a hundred verses on your outline, so we're not going to look at all of those. But I hope you'll follow up with those verses this week. Let's look at a few of them. Jesus prayed this way. In Matthew 6.10, he says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That was a prayer for justice. When Jesus prayed for God's kingdom to come, he was praying for bad things for the earthly kingdoms of the world. He was praying for justice. Matthew 23, listen to what sweet, loving Jesus had to say about his enemies. Matthew 23, 27. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to be people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. As if that wasn't already enough, Jesus says, you snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Sometimes I get a laugh when among young pastors they say, I want to do ministry just like Jesus did. Well, this is how Jesus did ministry sometimes. It wasn't always, didn't always work out well, but it was God's plan. Paul prayed this way. Look with me in Galatians 1.8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Paul prayed this way again in Galatians 5.12. I'll let you figure out the words and study it on your own. But he says in Galatians 5.12, very boldly, brashly, as for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Again, Bible, not Matt. Galatians 5.12. Revelation 6, 9 and 10. The, the martyrs in heaven, listen to what they're praying right now. He says, I saw the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. The Bible is not rated G. The Bible gets very specific. And what I want to encourage you to do is in this first step, if you've got some real hurt and some hate under the surface of your heart, will this week, will you try praying these prayers to God? You say, but Matt, I can't tell God what I really, really, really think. Again, he already knows what you really, really, really think. And the Psalms teach us to take off the mask and get transparent and honest with God. And you'll be amazed what will start to happen in your life. 
You say, well, Matt, what happens if I say something really, really bad when I pray? God's grace is big enough to handle it. He already knows it's in your heart. And he's more interested in you being made into the likeness of Jesus than he is about you putting on a show. And if doing surgery means he has to open you up and you have to bleed a little, know it's for your good and it's for his glory. Lord, teach them a lesson. But I told you there's a progression. Let's look at the second step quickly. Not only Lord teach them a lesson, but then he says, Lord teach me a lesson. In verse 12, he, he moves into a deeper place of Christianity. In verse 12, he says, Blessed is the one you discipline, Lord, the one you teach from your law. Here in verse 12, some would say he gets to the main point of the psalm. Every psalm has a main point, and most scholars believe because of the way it's structured, this psalm finds its main point in the middle. And in verse 12, he stops focusing on the sin of his enemies, and he starts focusing on the sin of his own heart. You see, it's easier for us to, to look at the sin of other people. We watch the news, whatever channel of news you watch. I'm not going to comment on that anymore. But whatever channel you watch, there's somebody that you really don't like. I mean, you really don't like them. And, and what the Lord is saying here is this. Yes, there's a time that we look out into the world and we, we condemn the injustices of the world. But let's not be people who forgets to look inside of our own hearts. Because sometimes the reason I think that Christians get all fired up about looking outside is because we're scared to death to look on the inside. And in verse 12, he says, Lord, you discipline me through this, whether it was my fault or was not my fault. And some of you have some hurt that wasn't your fault. Probably most of us have some hurt that wasn't our fault. Probably most of us have some hurt that was our fault. It's complex. But no matter what the reason, and we can all pray, verse 12, Lord, discipline me. Teach me what you want me to know. I started this sermon by telling you about the day I got fired. Let me tell you what I learned. These are things I keep near and dear to my heart, things I wrote down then and things that help me now. Number one, I learned that I have a sharp tongue, and I have a bad habit of saying really, really hard things when I get mad. I learned that about myself through the process. That's not good. That's not good. And so God used that to draw that to the surface and to, to begin to pull that out of my life. Number two, I learned that my communication was most often characterized by exclamation points and not question marks. My communication was, was characterized by, by exclamation points and not question marks. What I mean by that is this. I, for growing up, for some reason, I loved to write. I just loved to write. I still do. And I remember I would... What kind of arrogant kid does this? I would write letters to the presidents of the United States telling them what they were doing was wrong. I'm, I mean, I, I was born in Charleston. I live in St. Albans, West Virginia, and I've got the guts to write the president and say, you're doing this. All. They probably got like a file on me somewhere, you know, like this. Who is this guy? But God used that experience to pull that out of me. And are we saying that you can never have exclamation points? No. But some of us, we approach life like we have all the answers and we see the big picture when in reality we only see a slice. And we say hard things to people and we fire off emails and we write letters and we say things that we would never say in person. And God is saying, hey, I want to I use this. Man, I want to use this in your life to create grace. I learned I held grudges. 
I learned that I love winning arguments. This one was big. I love winning arguments more than I love people. Is that ever true of your life? Man, you get into a good argument, it's like fuel, yes. But if we love people more than we love the argument, then we can maintain our beliefs while still loving people. So number one, we pray, Lord, teach them a lesson. Number two, we pray, Lord, teach me a lesson. But now number three, what else can we learn? Lord, give me some relief. Lord, give me some relief. In verse 13, you see the progression in the psalm. He says, grant them relief from the days of trouble to a pit is dug for the wicked. Give me relief. Is it okay for you when you're going through a hard time to pray for relief? You think it's okay? I think it is. Most of you are shaking your head. I believe it is. I think the Bible teaches that it is. Jesus prayed for relief. In Matthew 26, the night before Jesus is crucified, he says, My Father, if it be possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you, you will. Pray for relief. It's okay. Maybe some of you need to start there today. You really don't hate somebody, and you already know what lessons God wants you to, to learn. So just pray for your relief, and let us pray with you as your church family. But lastly, in number four, this is ultimately where God wants to get us to. Lord, help me love them like Jesus. Help me love them like Jesus. Notice verses 16 through 18. He says, Who will rise up for me against the wicked? Who will take a stand for me against evildoers? Jesus is the fulfillment of verse 16. Jesus' name means Jehovah is salvation. Jehovah saves. So Jesus is the fulfillment of verse 16. Only Jesus ultimately could save his people. Verse 17. Unless the Lord had given me help, I would soon have dwelt in the silence of death. Is there anybody you can think of who dwelt in the silence of death so that you could have life? Is there anybody who gave their life so you could dwell in eternal life? Of course the answer is Jesus. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And then in verse 18, When I said my foot is slipping, Lord, your unfailing love supported me. Your unfailing love. That word is covenant love. The New Testament Another name for New Testament is New Covenant. When Jesus came and died on the cross, he, he launched a new covenant, a promise, where he would save those who believe and keep you eternally secure. He'd keep you saved and safe forever. Jesus fulfills Psalm 94. Maybe somebody has told you, you're justified in your hate. Maybe you feel like you're justified in your hate. And if we could bring you up on the platform and you would share your story, I might even humanly agree with you. You're justified in your hate. Somebody walked out of you on your life. They weren't supposed to walk out on your life, but they did. So you're alone and you hate them. How in the world can I stand before you as your pastor and say, you've got to get here to step four. Help me love them 
like Jesus. Well, I think Psalm 94 teaches that you can actually start way over here. This week, you can start, maybe you've never totally told God what you really think about that person. And so maybe this afternoon, that's where you need to start. You're like, man, I'm afraid if I open that up, the floodwaters are, I hope they do. Get you in a private place. Keep kids far away from you so they don't hear what you're saying, but say it. And then may God this week or this month or this year move you into the place that you can begin saying, Lord, what do you want to teach me? What do you want to teach me, Lord? It wasn't my fault, but what do you want to teach me through it? And, and then may God get you to the place where step three, you can say, Lord, give me some relief. I just want to move on with my life. Give me some relief. But ultimately, I'm praying that you get over here to step four. Lord, help me to love them like Jesus. You say they don't deserve forgiveness. They haven't asked for forgiveness. I hear you, but neither do we. Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. You see, at just the right time, we were still powerless. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus never died for a friend. Think of that. He always died for his enemies. When we grasp that, it'll spill over into loving the most unlovable people. Do people deserve justice? Sure they do. Should we prosecute to the fullest extent of the law? Absolutely. But we're not talking about government. We're talking about your heart. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43 says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He calls us his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward do you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. But he says in Romans chapter 12, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For as it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. If you want to heal, let me encourage you to get honest with God about your hurt and your hate. When you came in, you probably noticed a card and a pen somewhere near where you're sitting. If you would grab that card for me for just a moment, nothing fancy. But I hope it's powerful in your life. This is what I'm going to ask you to do. If there's somebody who has deeply hurt you, somebody who's offended you, somebody has made you angry, 
maybe somebody who's hurt you physically or emotionally or spiritually, what I'm going to ask you to do is to write down their name or if you're afraid of the people around you seeing their name, maybe their initials, something to remind you of that person. I'm going to ask you to write it down in a moment. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Not today, not in this service, but I'm going to ask you to try Psalm 94. I'm going to ask you to try working through the four steps, the four phases of forgiveness. Some of you, again, need to take your card and you need to say what you really think to God. God, teach them a lesson. But then some of you are are ready to, to move on to this next phase and you're ready to pray, Lord, teach me a lesson. Why did you put this person in my life and what can I learn from what they did or didn't do? Or you take your card and you say, Lord, give me some relief. Give me some relief from the pain this person caused me. Give me some. And you, you call their name out loud and you talk about what they did and the date on which they hurt you. And ultimately, it might be this week. It might be this month. It might be this year. Maybe it's next year. Ask God to get you to the place when you can pray step four. And when you get to that place, I'm going to ask you to tear up that card And just as an offering, just say, Lord, I'm giving them to you. Make me a lover. Make me a a Christian. Make me a person of grace like Jesus is to me. When you can get to that fourth step, would you just send me an email? Just let me know. Pastor Matt, I was able to tear up my card. Again, don't rush this. Don't rush this. Take your time. But I'd love over the course of the next few months to get emails from you and to hear how God is using it. If you want to take that and throw that in a campfire, I almost said light a match to it, but I was afraid something would happen and this is videoed and the insurance agent would call me. Don't burn it, okay? Don't burn it, but get rid of it as an offering to God. I'm going to ask our band to join me here on the platform and I've asked Beth to come and sing a beautiful, a beautiful modern hymn. It was written by one of my friends in seminary. It was his brother. And the words go like this. My Redeemer's love is deeper than the depths of sin and hell. He who was enthroned in glory came to bring us to himself. My Redeemer's love is wider than the breach my sins had made. He reached down into my darkness. He alone has power to save. My Redeemer's love is stronger than my fiercest enemies. He will hold me in the tempest through the flood he carries me. My Redeemer's love will lead me through the deepest valley here. He will shepherd and he'll guide me. He will ever keep me near. And the chorus goes like this. Deeper than the rolling seas, higher than the mountain peaks, your love is all I need. Take this time, write on that card, and ask God to help healing to begin.
with someone this morning. We'd love to do that with you. Uh, we've got a great group of people over in our prayer room that would love to pray with you this morning. If you're new, we'd love for you to meet Jane, one of our greatest people here. She's by the fireplace. She's looking forward to meeting you. Go now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Have a great week.